play ball. Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. I'm Mark Simon, Senior Research Analyst. We hope that you're safe and healthy and that this podcast is a respite from all that you're dealing with related to coronavirus. On today's show, we'll be joined by two masters of multi-positionary. Don Kelly, the bench coach for the Pittsburgh Pirates, and Joe McEwing, the bench coach for the Chicago White Sox. They're here to talk about how they prepared to play every position on the diamond and how they did it at the major league level. Today, our guest is Pirates bench coach Don Kelly, and our topic is multi-positional defensive excellence. For those who don't remember, Don Kelly played in the majors from 2007 to 2016, debuting with his hometown team, the Pirates, at age 27 and playing six years with the Tigers, where he played in the postseason four times. He had a couple of big moments, a walk-off sacrifice fly, and then LDS Game 5 winning home run against the Yankees. He closed his career with the Marlins, then became a scout. Last year, he was the Astros' first base coach, and now he's taken the bench coach job with the Pirates under Derek Shelton. Don, welcome. And How are you doing? Uh, are you safe? Uh, and um, what are you doing to, to fill the time? Uh, uh, we're doing great. Thanks for asking. Hope you guys are as well. And uh, it's, um, you know, there's been a lot of stuff just with the, doing some, some podcasts like this, but also we've got a lot of work with the Pirates that's going on with Zoom calls and having meetings and um, talking about advance reports and different things that we're trying to get done um, in regards to the to the season come that's hopefully coming up, you know, and looking forward to hopefully getting out there this year sometime. So uh, yeah, everything's everything's good. Staying really busy. Yeah, hope uh, hope you guys are doing well as well. First, I would ask you if you were going to summarize your major league career in a sentence or two, how the heck would you do it? Man, I was just, I was blessed to have the career I had, um, you know, really fortunate to play on some really great teams, had some really great teammates. And, uh, you know, just thinking back to some of those teams that you mentioned there in Detroit, it was, it was awesome to be a part of. So to explain the pertinence of, of all these things as they apply to Don Kelly, I want to reference his stats from 2010 because they speak to the, the big picture of what we're talking about here. Don Kelly that season played 587 innings, which equates in terms of play to half a season, uh, essentially. Uh, And he split those between a bunch of different positions. Uh, He had four defensive runs saved at first base, four defensive runs saved at third base, seven defensive runs saved in left field, and five defensive runs saved in center field. All of those add up to about 20 defensive runs saved for the year, which, which puts him among the league leaders in the stat, despite playing half the innings of most of the guys uh, that were ahead of him. So I guess I would ask you first, how did you learn to become what we would call Zobristian, as in Ben Zobrist? Ben Zobrist was a heck of a player, so I appreciate the reference there to, uh, to Ben. But it was, you know, growing up, I was always a shortstop. And as I got into pro ball, played shortstop, but I always found myself to stay in the lineup, moving over to different positions, uh, being 6'4". You know, it was more like the prototypical third baseman body type, if you will. And so went to third base and started playing a little second, then went to uh, first base. So really worked my way around the infield early on in my minor league career. And it wasn't until 2009 that I actually started playing consistently in the outfield but the thing that really helped me during those early years in the minor leagues was I would get my work in in the infield and I would always go to the outfield and shag during BP and really it wasn't something just to go out there and stand I would I would work on it even though I wasn't playing out there I really enjoyed going to the outfield and working during BP on shagging and and routes and 
and I really didn't at the time realize I was working on routes or working on reads or doing stuff. I really just enjoyed doing that out there. Um, so later on in my career, it really helped me out a lot that I had done that earlier. How many different gloves did you have? Oh man. I, I always get it. Jason Beck is a MLB.com writer. And, uh, we always used to laugh. That was the first thing you'd always ask me every year when I came to spring training was how many gloves did I bring? And early in my career, I would, I would use a different glove at short and second. I would use a smaller glove at second for the double play. And then an even bigger glove at third base. So I used to have four gloves for the infield, uh, including the first base glove. And then as my career went on, I started using the same glove at, at all three. So I would use a, I had a first base glove, um, infield glove for second, short, and third, an outfielder's glove. And then I had a uh, catcher's glove as well. Oh, catcher's glove. Uh, well, that's right. You, you did catch, and I want to I want to reference that a, a little later on. But with regards to the four positions that I was talking about before, first base, third base, left field, and center field, what went into defensive excellence at each of those four spots? A lot of work. And I think that something that I had to figure out myself and, and going through was the hardest position for me to play was third base, especially if you're not playing there every day. So they call it the hot corner for a reason. And when you're not over there to keep up that, keep up that game speed, I had to make sure every single day that I was getting work in at third base. Even when I wasn't starting there, I would, I would take on balls and eat when I started in left field or center field or first base or somewhere else, I would still get ground balls at third because it just helped me get into a rhythm and a flow for the game. And then the other positions kind of fed off of that. So, you know, first base, I would, when I played there, I get some, some work in, but you know, Miguel Cabrera was so unbelievably awesome there. I mean, even defensively, I don't think that he got the credit which he deserves. Um, You know, he's such a big target and he moved really well for a big guy. Um, He was over there obviously every single day. So like when I did play first, I would just get some work in that day and then work around the bag a little bit here and there, but third base and outfield were the ones that I really had to focus on. And like I said, the outfield stuff came in during, you know, after I was done taking my ground balls and hitting, I would go into the outfield and rotate every day going left field, center field, right field, just to get different reads because those reads on the corners are so different. You know, the ball slicing different ways. So you really wanted to make sure that you got, got out there and got to see that during BP uh, consistently. With regards to third base, um, I guess can you explain to someone the violence of the position in terms of the speed with which a ball can uh, eat you up? Oof, that's a great question. I'm not really sure that it's explain explainable because I mean you get guys, geez, that I remember Mike Napoli hit a ball at me one time that I started off right at me and then ended up hooking down the line for a double, but he hit it so hard and it was it's by you before you can even react sometimes. So figuring out the timing of your pre-pitch, figuring out who's on the mound, getting into a rhythm with them, and really making sure that you're in a position uh, to react whenever the ball is, is being struck because it does happen so fast. And then when you play infield in or uh, you're moving in a little bit, you really need to make sure that your, your base is wide and that you're down there and ready, ready to react even sooner. You know, you had uh, exposure last year to a pretty good defensive third baseman in Alex Bregman, and you also saw Matt Chapman and Kyle Seager uh, quite frequently. 
Uh, what should people watch uh, when they're watching those guys in terms of, of how they're able to make plays? Oh, man. The, the, and just alluding to Bregman, I mean, the work that that guy put in to be who he is and be the MVP caliber player that he is, um, it's unbelievable. And he really he takes pride in his defense. He, he wants to be just as good on defense as he is on offense. And, you know, he, he works his butt off to do it. And really the pre-pitch stuff that you see that they're ready to react whenever the ball's hit. And Bregman is, is tremendous at doing that. I mean, you really, he, Bregman's a, he's a shortstop. He played a lot of short for us last year too. And the reaction time and just the way that he has the body control to make plays on the run. And the other guys you mentioned too, we, we got to see Seager a bunch over there and, and Chapman. And then we also played Colorado last year with Arenado. You know, these guys are just tremendous athletes and really they all take pride in, in being really good defensively. Were you uh, someone who liked to play as deep as like a Chapman would play <clears throat> or did, did you play uh, in a little bit more? I would play it in a little bit more. I mean, Chapman's got – <laughs> impressive watching his throws as a first base coach last year because there's times that he, he plays so deep and there's balls that are hit to him and the first time you, you see it you're like oh man he's way back there and next thing you know the ball's in Olsen's glove and it's such a quick release and it's so true how um how true the ball stays to first base and um no I did not have that type of arm so I could not <laughs> I couldn't play that deep, but you know, it's funny because the, your depths vary based on, you know, different circumstances based on the pitcher, the runner, um, obviously your own personal arm strength and how, how good that is. And, uh, also depending on, you know, what, what situation of the game you're in at that time. I was thinking about some of the guys that you played with, uh, specifically with the Tigers, uh, were there any particularly good defensive habits that anyone uh, there had, whether it was someone like Brandon Inge uh, who played third base oh, or some of great, the, the other guys? Great one. Yeah. When I first came up in 2009, we had Brandon Inge and Adam Everett at short and third base. And when I got to play left field behind those two, the jumps that they would get on balls, I mean, there were times that Brandon Inge, I felt like, was moving before the ball was even hit that he had such – he had always worked on it. He was a tremendous athlete, awesome teammate. And the guy just – you talk about defensive third baseman that was elite, really, in my opinion. There were times that he was moving before, and Adam Everett, same way. Like, these guys prepared, they, they studied, they worked at it, and uh, they, they expected to make every play on a ground ball that was hit on that side of the field. I want to reference, uh, just and Don might not know about this, but in the first edition of our company's book, The Fielding Bible, uh, there is an essay that compares the defense of Adam Everett with Derek Jeter, uh, and it certainly uh, shows, among many, many things, that Adam Everett was one of the, the best defensive shortstops uh, of his era. So that's, uh, you can find that out on the web. Uh, with a quick Google search. Um, do you have any, any good stories about your multi-position versatility <laughs> and uh, how it came into play during games? Oh, man. I don't know about good stories. It's funny. Last night they on MLB Network, there was a replay of our 2011 game against the Texas Rangers. It was game yeah. two of the ALCS. And I, being a bench guy, like you're, you're, you have to stay involved in the game because you never know – one, you don't hope anybody gets hurt, but that's 
something that happens and you've got to be ready to go in, but two, you get into a good flow. And I think that's with playing for Jim Leland and the rhythm, he was very consistent in how he used me. So the way that the game would unfold, I would get a pretty good idea of, of how and when he was going to use me or put me in or whatever. So you're always in, into the game. So that game, I, and I can't remember, I caught it late, but I don't know if Delman got hurt that game or Maglio. We had dealt with some injuries throughout that series, and I don't remember which game who got hurt. But I went into the game into right field, and then you later on, Andy Dirks pinch hit for Brandon Inge, and I ended up going from right field to third base. And the, the feeling that you get, I was texting with one of my buddies, like that feeling of you're in the playoffs and you're shifting sides of the field from outfield to infield. And it is such a challenging thing. And I think that's where that, that work comes in during BP and the other times and going through it during the regular seasons. But sometimes when you see these guys that do shift positions in a game and go from one side of the field to the other, a lot of guys like, like Zobrist, you know, may, they make it look so easy, but it certainly is not an easy thing to do. With regards to Jim Leland and the other uh, managers that you played for, what did you pick up from them with regard to uh, defensive performance? It's, I think that as a bench guy, you know, something that I always took pride in myself going out there. And I think that some of these guys, like when you look at, at Zobris, guy, a guy like that, that was so valuable because not only was he versatile, but he was really good defensively and he could really hit. And to have guys that, that, you know, Leland loved having those types of guys, myself, John Wayner, um, guys that could bounce around and, and play solid defense all over. Um, I think it was something that he really valued and it was something that, that um, you know, a lot of the guys that are in that role take pride in. Do you have a favorite play from your career? From a defensive standpoint? Yep. I feel like the offensive and, ones aren't that hard. Yeah, the, the offensive <laughs> ones, the defensive ones, man, I, I was able, it was, it was cool. Like those times when you're a kid and you're in the backyard and I remember we were playing the Yankees the one year and I remember it because it was really the only, it was the only game that my grandfather was able to be at in my major league career. And we were playing the Yankees and Mark Teixeira hit a ball that, and like when you see guys rob home runs, a lot of times, like, those are like perfect moments because I mean, you think about when you go out in the backyard with your, with your dad or your kids or whoever, it's so hard to throw the ball just right to where you can, the, you can go up over the wall and rob it and come back. And now you think about a guy hitting a ball 350 or 60 feet that is hit just right that you have an opportunity to go up over the wall and, and bring it back. And I had a moment uh, against the Yankees. I wasn't really hitting that well at the time and went, up over the wall and was able to bring one back. And it just, I've actually, one of my baseball cards is a picture of that, of that particular play. And uh, I, I just remember it vividly because it was the only game that my grandfather was at and he was so pumped after the game, just like I was. What was the key to, to making a home run robbery? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I really don't know. Luck? I mean, like, I, it, yeah, I mean, it's got, like I said, it's gotta be that perfect hit. It's gotta be at the perfect speed. You have to be playing and, you know, having a sense of where the wall is and being able to, to time that, to go up over, you know, it's, uh, it's everything just coming together at the right, right time. All right. I want to talk about a couple of the other positions that you played uh, because you played everywhere. Um, what was it like to catch? <laughs> Scary. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so who I did never you catch? Caught. 
I caught Ryan Perry, David Percy, and Lester Oliveras. And I don't know who was more nervous, me or Larry Vanover, who was behind the plate, because he knew that it was my my first time back there, and I had never really caught at any level until then. And I caught six innings that night. And I'll tell you what, I had so much fun calling the game and trying to figure out like read swings. I I don't remember much about the six innings. I was just trying to get through it, but it was uh, it was scary, but I had a blast too. All right. So you talked about reading swings. How does a catcher read swings? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when when you sit there and you look at when guys foul balls off the other way or they're late and just like body position and how they're doing. And <clears throat> at the end of the day, you tell the, the pitchers, like I was back there calling the pitches, but it's, it's your ERA. If I throw down something, please shake to whatever <laughs> it is that you feel comfortable and you want to throw. How did it go? <laughs> I made it. You made it. I made it. You don't yeah, want to tell us how many it. runs you allowed? Well, I, I allowed five. Okay. Day, but I told Victor Martinez I did a heck of a lot better than he did because he allowed 10 in three innings. So <laughs> it was <laughs> the Giants were on fire at the time. And so I went six innings and allowed five. And uh, we, got, we ended up getting smoked. But it, the reason I went in is Victor took a foul ball off of his shoulder. And it mm-hmm. was a night game in Detroit with a day game the next day with rain and rain delays and stuff. So um, I guarantee you if we had, we would have got hot and started making a comeback, Leland would have taken me out and put Avila in in a heartbeat. All right, you, you mentioned reading swings. I, I want to uh, actually ask you about that. Um, and I want to ask you that from a slightly different perspective, not just uh, in the field, but as a base coach, reading the swings maybe of your hitters even. Uh, what kind of things do you notice and what kinds of things are you looking for? When you're up there, it's easier to, to notice some things, I think, for, from a first base, from the open side, you know, where you can see things a little bit more clear and just looking for balance and hand position and posture. And, you know, when you're – there's a lot going on, especially when you get guys on base, you know, so there's a lot of times that, that you're out there, and I think that that's where video comes in that really helps us out a lot and it's changed so much over the years with with the in-depth information that we have and the high-speed cameras and that type of stuff that can that can really help in in determining some of those factors and and uh, also i do want to talk about reading the defense as a hitter uh and you certainly had a, a few um, memorable moments in your career as a hitter as we alluded to before uh but how much uh attention are you paying or maybe is that something that you listen to certain things uh, when a coach uh, or manager talks some stuff in the, in the pregame uh, with regards to how the defense is playing. You know, when you're going up there to hit and it's like, I tell my boys all the time, I'm like, I want you guys to square this ball up and hit it as hard as you can. And there's a lot of times like different situations, you know, maybe a guy might try to beat the shift and, you know, it's getting more prevalent, I think with some of the guys, but really when you go up there, you've got an approach and you're trying to hit the ball as hard as you can. And uh, really, regardless of where they're playing, and I think that that's the that's the game now. There's been the shift has become a lot more prevalent. I, I've seen teams used to shift Miguel Cabrera all the time, and he he hits the ball so hard, he was basically just trying to hit it through them. With all the things that we've talked about, um, how do you take what you've learned and integrate it into a scouting, which you did first, and b uh, coaching, which you're doing now? That's a great question, and to go from playing into the scouting role um, there were two moments two things that that happened 
you know, for me, when I went from, from playing to scouting and you realize early on, like you're not a teammate anymore and you're up in the stands evaluating. And so to not lose that teammate aspect of it, but to be in the stands and truly evaluate the talent or try to of the players that are, that are playing. And then second to go from, to go from scouting back onto the field. And I'll never forget uh, Joe Espada, who's the Houston bench coach and AJ Hinch and I, we're sitting out in spring training last year and there's a play that Correa made. He came in, fielded one-handed, threw off balance. It was unbelievable. I mean, just the body control and the arm strength and like everything is a scout that you would be looking for. And Joe made, I, I, I made the comment of like, wow, like, I mean, Correa is unbelievable. I mean, he's one of the top shortstops in the whole league. And as Joe quickly corrected me he's like no not wow like he played that into that he could have been more fundamental and that was like the moment that I went from I went from player to scout and had to change that lens a little bit and then last year going from scout back to on field of like more of a development um, you're not looking at tools anymore you know the more fundamental aspect of it so like for me back now on the field and really just trying to you try to help guys understand the fundamentals of playing and understand the work that needs to go in, especially for a guy that's going to be playing multiple positions that BP isn't just um, going out to get loose because you're playing every single day and you're, you know, um, in a position to not go through the motions, but just use it as a prep for the game. The bench guys that are playing multiple positions, you've got to go out there and, and treat BP as your game and really work on the things that you need to work on and, get your footwork down, get your timing down on defense so that when you do get into the different positions that you're ready to roll. What's the most fun thing you've done during the, the, the quarantine? Oh man, I've got three boys, 11, eight and five. So we're, uh, they keep us extremely busy and it's always something different. Baseball, football, basketball, we go out in the side of the yard and, and just do all kinds of stuff. So we're, Staying ex extremely busy, and I've got my two oldest. They are PE. They've been running a mile, so they've been pushing me to get back out there and run a little bit too. Do you feel like you could still play? <laughs> no, no <laughs> chance. <laughs> I was, I was, I was a below average hitter when I played, and then you start swinging. The as you get older, it starts to become even more of a heavy telephone pole. So I don't think. Uh, yeah, I, I love playing. I would still love to play, but that's not. Uh, <laughs> That's not in the cards. Cool. Don, thanks for uh, joining our show. Best of luck. Awesome. Thanks, Mark. Check out our newest baseball book, The Fielding Bible, Volume 5, out March 1st. This book gives a comprehensive look at our new and improved defensive run save stat. It features essays on all 30 teams, research and studies on important topics, and stats and analysis you can't find anywhere else. That's Fielding Bible, Volume 5. Available at actasports.com, that's A-C-T-A sports.com, or wherever you buy your books online. Joe McEwing played nine years in the major leagues with the Cardinals, Mets, Royals, and Astros. He was a fan favorite as a small, scrappy player in an era of big bodies, an underdog who made the majors as a 28th round pick in 1992. What made McEwing stand out was his versatility. He played every position except catcher and pitcher, and I can remember it being said for some longer games that he could catch in an emergency. My favorite Joe stat is that in 2000, he went four for six with three doubles and a home run, the only hitter who could solve Randy Johnson. 
Nicky Way has been a coach with the White Sox since 2012. He's been the bench coach for the last three seasons, and he's here to talk to us about multi-positional excellence and another interest, defensive positioning. Uh, Joe, uh, first first question for you would simply be, how did you develop the versatility to become what we like to call Zobristian, as in Ben Zobrist? Coming up in the Cardinal system, uh, learning under George Kissel, he always, it, something always stuck in the back of my mind as far as he said, the sharper your pencil gets and the more tools you have in your toolbox, the better off you're going to be. Uh, it gives a, it gives the manager more versatility to use you throughout a game. So I, I always kept that in the back of my mind. And, you know, coming up in the minor leagues, it's a crazy story because I got drafted as a shortstop out of, out of junior college. And when I signed and went away, I played center field. And uh, I didn't return to the infield till uh, three years later and uh, went to instructional league, started working out at second base and, and went back to second base, started the year at second base. And then I got moved to double A, went back to the out, outfield. And then our shortstop got hurt, took some ground balls as shortstop, played shortstop for seven days, went back in the outfield. And then I started, that's, that's basically when I started moving around. And, and I presume it worked out for you. Yes, yes. And, you know, it was something that I took a lot of pride in going out and, and under that role, being prepared for every situation that may arise during the game. So if I was starting on that particular day, I would go out and uh, do majority of my work at that position. But I wouldn't stop there. I would, I would, you know, say I was starting at shortstop that day. I'd take majority of my work there and then move over to second, turn a few double plays from that side, and then Another group, I'd go out in the outfield and take balls off the bat for the whole group so that if that situation may, would arise during the game, I was, I was prepared for it. Did you ever take the wrong glove into the field with you? No. That's a good question because I came out to the glove. I came out to the game. Early on, I had a shortstop, second base glove, and a third base glove, first base glove, and an outfield glove. And then one day during spring training, my shortstop second base glove broke. And so I grabbed my third base glove and, and then I just started using that everywhere. I just felt comfortable with it. It was no problem getting the ball in and out. So I just used that particular glove, uh, which I still have. It's crazy. Why would you have had a different glove for a third as you would have had for like short? A bigger size glove at third and smaller because you're using more, uh, you're using more of two hands at, at short and second. And you want to be a little bit quicker as far as turning double plays. And, and, and at third, you don't, have to, you don't have to think about that as much. If you're talking to a kid who's of the level of a 28th round pick, and there's certainly a, a good number of guys who are scrapping and trying to, to claw their way uh, towards getting drafted, what are you going to tell him in terms of advice? Just have a really sharp pencil? Yes, work, work everywhere every day. When you mentioned the 28th round part of it, I think it's more of a mentality of focusing on the things you could control, and that's going out there and be prepared, working, and being the best that you could be every day so that at the end of the day, you can, you can go home, look yourself in the mirror and say, I gave it everything I had. If it wasn't good enough, it wasn't good enough. That's from the mental standpoint. And uh, from the physical standpoint and the work standpoint, days I wasn't playing, i take ground balls at third, short, second, during batting practice or, or early and then go out in the outfield and, and take them at at least one of the spots throughout the course of the day. 
What's something that goes into preparing to play, and just use second base as an example, uh, that something that we might miss that, that you would do to prepare? Every ground ball that you're possibly going to get during the course of a day. That's balls straight at you. That's balls going to your right, going to your backhand, going to your forehand, balls you're going to charge, balls you're going to have to spin on, uh, balls you're going to go to your left, get in front of, working on your solid base throughout and uh, trying to be in the best athletic position you could possibly be. But but just being prepared for every ground ball that you're going to encounter throughout the course of a game. And, and that's also like with shifts now, um, yeah, I think the inventory is much greater, right? The inventory of yes, types of plays they have to make. A lot of times you may be turning that double play from the four hole, making that longer throw rather than being closer where it's, it's an underhand flip or it's, it's a shovel. Do you have a favorite defensive play? No, I enjoyed them all. When I put a uniform on, it was all about winning. And whatever you could do to help a team win, there's 27 outs, right, in a nine-inning game. And whatever you can contribute during that game for those 27 outs to help a team win is the ultimate satisfaction for me. Every single piece of that work throughout, throughout the day was for, was for, was for team, for, for a win. And, you know, I didn't realize how many ground balls I did take. And at the time, um, Macalante was our third base coach and infield guy, and he hit me ground balls. And he asked me one day, he goes, how many ground balls do you, you think you took today? And I said, I don't know, 45, 50? He said, you took 115 ground balls. And that was <laughs> during band practice before a game. I, I enjoyed it. That's why it didn't seem like a large number. Do you think you could have caught? I did catch. I, oh, didn't uh, not, I didn't catch in the big league game. After I got called up in 98, uh, I was sent to instructional league to learn how to catch. And, you know, it was one of the uh, best and worst experiences of my life. Because <laughs> <laughs> the instructor, Dave Ricketts, is one of the best I've ever been around as far as, as an instructor at that position. And he was very thorough and very very on top of things. So we said, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this right. And I showed up at the ballpark at 5.30 in the morning and I was in the cage by six. And because he wanted me to get all my work done before everyone else got there. So I, I was doing catching drills at 6 a.m. It was still dark. Uh, lights were on in the cage. And after day two, I couldn't move my hips to get in a position to catch. So I would we would start by sitting on a stool and working on receiving. And then as my hips would open up and loosen up, then we started going into uh, everything else. So after that, I mean, I, I would go to, I would go to spring training with pitchers and catchers every year, go catch bullpens every day. And then once or twice during spring training, go to a minor league game and catch like five or six innings. Yikes. All right. So you played for Tony La Russa and Bobby Valentine back to back. What was the experience of that like when it came to how they prepared teams uh, on the defensive side? Uh, very thorough. Very, very thorough. I think it's, it's more thorough now than, than it was then because of so much information that we have now. But very thorough. I mean, Tony, as, as a rookie under Tony, Tony, you, you had to stay on top of it. And, I mean, you, you looked in the dugout almost after every pitch. 
according to how we we're going to pitch an individual and and how we we're going to attack a guy was where we would move. And uh, back in the old days when it was like, okay, use your instincts of what you're going to do. It was like, okay, look in after every pitch, you know, so you're prepared. If he had nothing for you, then okay, then you go with what we're staying with. But I think today, nowadays, with, with all the information we have, and it's so much greater. Did you ever have to do the Bobby Valentine thing with holding the runner on first and getting in their line of sight and just kind of dancing yes, back and forth? Yes. Bobby was ahead of his time in so many ways that way to give your first baseman more range and, and also being able to get back to the bag in case you could throw over and put your defense in such a better position to be able to do that. How come we don't see more guys doing that now? I think we do. It goes unnoticed. So many guys are quicker to the plate now to when it was then, you know, when guys were one, four, one, three, five, one, four, five, one, five to the plate. Okay. You had to do everything you possibly could to get that guy staying close to the bag. And if he had a bad pickoff move, okay, now, now we got to really work, work this to, to get back there. Now guys are quicker. And I think, I think you're seeing it more and more to where we're able to do that. All right. So let's transition into your coaching career and trying to teach defensive excellence. Now you have, you've had certainly some players who were very good defensively and you've had mm-hmm. a few guys, you've had a few guys who have struggled. Uh, what's the uh, approach that you take in trying to teach it? Knowing that every individual is different. And I think that's the most important thing is, is when you're dealing with a whole major league team, you're, you're dealing with 25 different personalities. And our job is to find out how to maximize performance out of each and every single one of them. So the way that I'm going to approach uh, Mankata is different than the way I'm going to approach TA is different than the way I'm going to approach Abreu or Larry Garcia or Madrigal or Yomer Sanchez, you know, and it, I think it, it, it just goes, I, that's the joy of, of what we do is finding out what makes each guy tick and what puts him in the best position to be successful for a long period of time that is sustainable for a long period of time. And I think that's the joy of, that's the joy of coaching. So I'm going to ask, take a name, take the name of the player out of it. We don't, we don't need to know who it is, but can you give us an example of an approach that you take specifically with someone in particular? I can't give you all my info. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I said take the name out. Just a a, a broad overview. No, I don't, I don't mind it at all. And he wouldn't mind it at all. Uh, Abreu playing a lot of third base early in his career in Cuba and majority of it at first here in the big leagues, he would not anticipate a ball coming off the bat from a right-hander. He would, you know, fall into the trap of, of, okay, this ball is not coming to me. His feet would get stale. One day we're, we're in Arizona. I, I, I remember it. And he, he came to me cause we went and reviewed a ball that happened the night before. And it was a ball to his right. And it was late reaction. So he goes, okay, I got it. And I go, what do you have? I know what I want to do. What do you have? I, I want to put it on him. So he becomes his own teacher. He said, my feet are getting stale. And I said, okay. I said, it's exactly what I have. I said, I want you to be a boxer. I want you to be a salsa dancer. 
I want your feet to keep moving. He said, got it. It was probably 1.30. We went in the outfield in Arizona. And I said, okay, I'm just going to pound your balls. Your feet don't stop moving. Just catch the ball, get rid of it, and just keep your feet moving. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you left, right, right at you. Just keep your feet moving. After like 10 balls, he goes, I got it. I got it. So I said, okay, from now on, we take ground balls at shortstop or third base every day and then finish up at first base. And he's like, got it, done. Because that it keeps it, it keeps it fun, it keeps it fresh for him, and it takes him back to a place where he was in his childhood when it was just a game, having fun, plus getting his work in. That's cool. That's very cool. I like to do that with a lot of first basemen. Because on that side, on that side, you have a lot more time and, and there's a tendency to where your feet get stale. What, what, what are your biggest takeaways from that spot? It's not as easy as everybody thinks. Everybody's like, okay, <laughs> he, can hit, he can hit, put him over there. First basemen are so important in today's game. Many don't realize. If you have strikeout pitchers, it, it goes unnoticed. Okay, you have ground ball guys. How many, a good first baseman, saves you on so many extra outs and so many errors throughout a course of a year. All right. So I want to talk about, uh, about positioning. And again, without giving away any company secrets, the White Sox uh, approach to it. Look at any list of uh, uses of defensive shifts. Uh, the White Sox mm-hmm. tend to come out right at the top. How does the approach mm-hmm. that you guys have come together and how is it taught not just at the, at the major league level, but throughout the organization? It's collective from top to bottom. Our ultimate goal is for everybody working together as one and so that we're, everybody's on the same page. And uh, it's a collective group that we break down. We break down so much uh, throughout the course, course of a day, throughout the course of a series, throughout the course of a season to where our analytics department will, will send down our defensive charts and then Myself, pounded over with our pitcher coach, Ricky, and we'll go over how we're going to – I'll watch every ground ball that this individual has hit versus righty, lefty, velocities, location, two strikes, runners in scoring position, not in scoring position. Uh, So it's it's a large quantity that goes into it to where – it factors into how we're going to play throughout a game and depending on who's on the mound, individual on the mound feeling comfortable with how we're playing or how we're going to attack to his strengths. You know, it's a collective, it's conversations. It's, it's multiple conversations throughout a day, throughout, throughout a series, how we're going to attack and knowing that certain areas of a strike zone will change a bat path to acquire balls to go the other way. So, I mean, it's, it's, there's so much that goes into it and so much work, so much video watching and it's updated daily, you know, to where, you know, is this guy making adjustments? Is he beating shifts? Is, is he driving balls the other way with runners in scoring position to where we won't shift? And also with our plan of attack. I got two things left for you. One is that you were a third base coach uh, before you were a bench coach. 
how does a third base coach prepare for the other team's defense? Because it seems like there's an awful lot of information that you need to be storing in your head uh, to make a split-second decision on sending a runner. I'm a visual learner, so I like, I like to watch a lot of video of the way outfielders attack balls, straight on, left or right, their exchange, how it comes out. Does it come out high? Is it come out on a line? Is it, is it a quick release? Is it a long release? Missing cutoff guys, short hop and cutoff guys. And then understanding what we have as a collective group on the bases, you know, and where they are health-wise. Uh, are they feeling good? Did they play 15 days in a row and they're a little sore? Okay, need to back off here and not, not take that risk. So – there's so many factors that go into it. Uh, guys going back on balls, do they get complacent and stop their feet and not get behind the ball? Or do they get back to the wall, come up, run through it to where they have something on it with carry? There's so many factors that, that go into it. Did you, did you ever um, stop yourself at a certain point and say, hey, maybe I'm being too aggressive with guys or maybe I'm being too conservative? I like to think that I was prepared the best I could on every single given day that I would look myself in the mirror. And I mean, and there's, there's a few in my mind that I still have <laughs> that I could play for you like right now and, and mentally that I wish I, I hadn't done. And there's some that I'm like, okay, I wish I would have, would have pushed the envelope. I'd like to take risk, but they're calculated risk. Because I, I'm prepared, I did, my home, I, I did my homework, and if it didn't turn out in the best scenario at that time, sure, I'm upset because there's 40,000 people staring at you saying you did the wrong thing. You know, you, you feel like you let your team down, but I know I was prepared in that situation. All right, last question, and I want to end on the highest of high notes. I mentioned the Randy Johnson stat at the beginning of the interview. You also had good numbers against Maddox, Glavin, and Kirk Schilling. And Schilling used to always say that he hated to face uh, guys like you or David Eckstein, kind of like the scrappy guys. Uh, what was the experience like of facing Hall of Fame caliber pitchers, and why did you have such success against them? Probably because it's the days I played. That's when everybody else took off. <laughs> they, right you they, still had to do they, well <laughs> no no again it's just the preparation and and the video work and trusting trusting your work trusting your preparation every single day against each one of those guys my approach was different by doing my homework and and watching my watching the video and getting the info from the coaches i i tried to prepare the best I could. And that's one thing that I'm able to say is, is I trust in my work. I trust in my preparation. And I tried to take a positive out of every day because I knew I was prepared. Even if it didn't turn out in a positive result, I knew I was prepared. So against each one of those guys, my approach was different against Randy. He would struggle getting balls to the outer half of the plate. So I would give him the outer half of the plate and I would look in, in areas and zones, middle half in, be on time to handle what I could handle. What I felt was put myself and our team in the best position to be successful. Uh, Atlanta back in the day, 
away, 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 bust in away, away, away. So I would give the inner half to them and try to maximize the outer half to my to my benefit. With the land and with those guys, they would give you your single all day, knowing that, okay, I'm giving up a single here with not too many strikeout guys. I would give you a single here knowing that the next guy is going to try to get big and try to roll over and get a double play. When you hit the homer against Randy, do you remember it? Oh, yeah. Give us the, yes. the, the Shea, anecdote. Shea Stadium, rainy day, getaway day. I dislike talking about myself. On that day, I had three extra base hits, and it's the only guy to ever have three extra base hits in one game against him. Pretty good. Joe, thanks for joining us. We hope there's a season. Best of luck to the White Sox. And thank you so much, and we're, we're excited to get going. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Mark. And this wraps up this edition of the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us and help us raise awareness for others. For Don Kelly, Joe McEwing, and our producer, Justin Stein, I'm Mark Simon. We'll see you down the road. Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, email the show at mark at sportsinfosolutions.com or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS.